0: Many of you know the Jesuit priest, Father John Deere. Father Deere has spoken to our church quite a few times in the past. He's one of the outstanding prophets of nonviolence today. He's taken up the mantle of Dr. King and Daniel Berrigan. He's protested all wars, all nuclear weapons, the building of nuclear weapons. He's been in jail for about 75 or 80 times, served months and months and months in jail. And he said one time, my family doesn't take me seriously. My friends don't take me seriously. My parishioners don't take me seriously. The Jesuits don't take me seriously. The government takes me seriously. <laughs> Today, Jesus enters a synagogue and he casts out a demon, and there are two reactions one from the people and one from the demons. So the people kind of scratch their head and say, Who is this? You know, this is kind of new. He casts out demons. Who who is this? They didn't take him seriously because they didn't know him. The demon does take him seriously because the demon knows him. He said, have you come here to destroy us, Jesus of Nazareth? I know who you are. You're the Holy One. You're Jesus of Nazareth. So the demon knows him, and the people don't. So ironically, the demon introduces Jesus to the congregation. Folks, this is Jesus of Nazareth, the Holy One of God. The demon knows Jesus. Why? The demons know Jesus because Jesus engaged them. Because Jesus engaged them. He faced his demons. He spent time with his demons. Do you know your demons? Jesus did. He spent 40 days dealing with his temptations, dealing with his demons. He didn't go out to preach until he had looked at, very seriously, his temptations. In a few weeks, we're going to hear this story at the first Sunday of Lent, the three temptations of Jesus, and you know what they are. The first one is to turn stones into loaves of bread. His temptation was to use his miraculous power for personal use. In other words, like, hey God, I want a hamburger and french fries right now. Boom. So that would be using his power for personal use. There was a temptation. Second temptation was to jump off the temple and watch God dramatically catch him. So that would be using his miraculous power for public display, to impress people. So we know Jesus was tempted to impress people. I am. You probably are too, right? You like to have a favorable impression of people. The third one was the biggest temptation of all. The devil says, I will give you all these kingdoms if you'll just bow down and worship me. I'll give you all these kingdoms. Well, what, what were they? The kingdoms were the Roman Empire. And the devil is saying, I'll give you the whole Roman Empire if you just act like Rome. If you use violence to gain control and maintain control, just bow down and worship me, be a man of violence, and you can have everything. So, obviously, this was tempting for Jesus to use, to establish his kingdom with violence, to be a military messiah. And that is always the, the biggest Christian temptation, our temptation, the church's temptation, to use violence for good ends, to build the kingdom of God through violence, like the Crusades. They thought they were doing something good, slaughtering thousands of Muslims in the name of God. The church succumbed to that temptation, even though Jesus did not. Or the Inquisition. Or the Vatican approving slavery. Or holy wars, jihads. To do violence in the name of God. That is a temptation. To destroy people and then justify it. When we say the Lord's Prayer... We say, lead us not into temptation, which means let us not resort to violence under any circumstance. We see this temptation play out in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before Jesus died. Jesus tells Peter, stay awake lest you enter into temptation. Stay awake. Peter falls asleep. He's not ready for the temptation. So he wakes up, and what does he do? He brings out his sword, he starts swinging it around, he hacks off the ear of the servant of the high priest, Jesus immediately rebukes him and says, put down the sword, and then he heals the ear, reinforcing his message of nonviolence. So he, say, he says to Peter, don't ever, ever use violence even to defend me. You think you're, you're doing a good cause by defending me. Uh-uh. No violence even to defend me. So that's what Jesus meant when he gave us the Lord's Prayer. Lead us not into temptation. God, don't let us resort to violence, even for good causes. Now think of all the violence that's going on in the Holy Land. How can you not see it? It's it's heartbreaking. Bombing of children, innocent civilians. Children don't have food. They're starving. They don't have medicine. And we need to remember in, in the midst of all this that Jesus was a Jew from the Holy Land. And the Lord's Prayer is a Jewish prayer. It comes from the heart of Judaism. It comes from the Holy Land. The Our Father comes from the best of Jewish spirituality. And it's a radical manifesto addressed to the entire earth. Never use violence under any circumstance, even for a good cause. The Lord's Prayer is the greatest of all prayers. It speaks not just to people like us, the followers of Christ. It speaks to Jews. It speaks to Muslims. It's It speaks to Israelis, to Palestinians, to Americans. It's addressed to the conscience of the entire world, just like Gandhi's message was addressed to the conscience of the world. An eye for an eye makes the whole world blind. So why was Jesus so clear about this and we are not? I know I'm not. I I wanna be pure about nonviolence, but I know I'm not. But Jesus was, why? because he took time to face his demons. He honestly faced the dark side of his life. And the biggest temptation for him was violence. That's why Matthew lists it as the final temptation, as the culmination of all his demons. Now there's another story about a demon in the scriptures. In the Gerasene territory, Jesus encounters a man with a demon. And Jesus asks him a question. What is your name? Name... Your demon, we do need to know the names of our demons. Do you know the names of your demons? Hatred, racism, anxiety, fear, greed, lust, jealousy, power, self-righteousness. Identifying our demons is critical. The fourth step in AA says, Make a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Make a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Search out our weaknesses. Take an honest look at our temptations. Now, Jesus never had a problem with people's weaknesses and their sins and their mistakes. People made mistakes. It didn't tip Jesus over. He didn't care. He expected it. The only thing that bothered him was when they denied making a mistake. And an example of that is the merciful father in the prodigal son story, where the only person reprimanded in that entire story was not the one who went off and messed up his life, but the one who stayed home and was self-righteous. So Jesus had no problem with sinners, just only when we deny that it's our problem. So we have social demons and we have personal demons. Some of the social demons are racism, sexism, anti-Semitism, homophobism, militarism, Islamophobism. Now we continue to see racism at work in Rochester. That's easy to see. A black man was thrown out of an ambulance, left on the side, died later in the hospital. That's racism. When we we don't give the same care to African Americans as we do to white Americans. We continue to see racism in our church at, at Spiritus Christi. Remember that the demon that was cast out in the reading today happened in the synagogue, in a place of worship. There was a demon. There are demons here that we have to check. That's, that's why we white people need to be aware of our white privilege and our racism. Anti-Semitism is, a, is alive. We can see that, especially since that Israel Israeli Hamas war began in October. Jews are targeted at campuses and places of worship and businesses and so are the Muslims. So our demons are quite evident. In addition to our social demons, we have personal demons. Some of our personal demons are addictions to alcohol, drugs, nicotine, shopping, hoarding, food, sex, stealing, cheating, lying, gambling, It goes on, it's important to name our demons, like Jesus did. If you don't name them, you blame other people. We'll scapegoat other people. When I find myself blaming a lot of people, I have to stop myself and say, wait a minute, what truth am I ignoring about my life, that I have to blame somebody else for what I'm doing? And we often do that, we blame other people for what we are doing. Like every time there's an oil spill, we get so mad that it ruins the Gulf of Mexico. We blame the oil companies, the oil tankers. But the real problem is ourselves because we have this thirst for oil. We're in denial about how fossil fuels are destroying our world. So we blame other people. How does Jesus handle the demon in the Gospel today? I think this is very interesting. He doesn't destroy the demon. The demon is afraid of that. He says, what have you come here to do? Destroy us, Jesus of Nazareth? He was afraid he was going to be destroyed. I didn't know until recently that Jesus didn't really destroy demons because he didn't destroy anything. He was nonviolent. He expelled the demon. He threw him out. Didn't get rid of him. And that, that's the thing for us, too. We, can, we, we can't destroy the demons in our lives. They're there from early age till. Our last days. Same demons. We have to keep expelling them. Keep expelling them. And only love can draw the demons out. It can expel the demons. That, that's what, that's what uh, throws them out is, is unconditional love of God. The authority of Jesus is love. You remember that story that President Obama, Obama told about his father? His father came from Kenya and settled in Hawaii. And one day, Obama's father was sitting in a a bar in Waikiki, and a white man said at the bar, very loudly for everybody to hear, I shouldn't have to drink good liquor in the presence of this N-word. The bar fell silent. People turned to Obama, waiting for a fight. Instead, Obama stood up, walked over to the man, and smiled. He lectured him about the folly of bigotry, about the promise of the American dream. He told him about the universal rights of all human beings, about how stupid it is to disparage people for their skin color. And when Obama was finished, the white man kept sinking in his chair. And he finally reached into his pocket, and he gave Obama a $100 bill. A reparations, of sort. Obama immediately bought everybody in the bar a round of drinks and he used the rest for his rent. See, that story is an important story. Love is what drove the demon of racism out. Love. In 1990, F.W. de Klerk became the president of South Africa. And as a white man, he knew that the apartheid system was wrong. He knew it was wrong, and he knew he had to do something about it. He tried to take steps to dismantle it, but he needed some help and his help was in prison. Nelson Mandela was the conscience and his conscience was locked up so the first thing he did was free Nelson Mandela from 27 years of prison. The two men negotiated a new constitution and this led to the transition of power to a democratic government. In 1993, de Klerk and Mandela shared the Nobel Peace Prize and the next year Nelson Mandela was elected the first black president of South Africa. Only love expels the demon of racism. Their nonviolent love defeated the forces of apartheid, just as Gandhi's nonviolent love defeated the British oppression in India, and MLK's nonviolent love defeated the forces of segregation and hatred. Only love expels demons. So the demon today, in today's story, saw the overwhelming love of Jesus and was afraid of Jesus' authority and screamed, Jesus of Nazareth, have you come here to destroy us? In our own lives, demons want to keep us away from love. They want to keep us away from people that are kind and good to us and see good things about us. Because they, the demons in our lives, all of us, want to convince us that, that we're no good, that we're worthless, that we're unholy, unlovable. Henry Nouwen says, we spend our whole lives in self-rejection. All of us have low, low self-esteem, including myself. Over 50 years of being a priest, that's the number one thing I see in everybody. The number one problem. People don't know how good they are. And because they think they're terrible, they spew their stuff on other people. That's, that's my own observation after all these years. We don't know how good. So the demons are, are successful, actually, in a lot of ways, keeping us to think that we're no good. That's why our programs at Spiritus Christi are so successful, whether it's our mental health center, our Grace of God Recovery House, or our prison ministry, because we surround people with unconditional love. And for some, it's the first time they've been loved and accepted that way. They tell us, you love me before I could love myself. They no longer want to do self-destructive things. Over and over again, our demons will flee when we are surrounded with love. Last Thursday night, Ashley, a member of, a resident at Jennifer House, our home for ex-offenders, spoke at our church. And here's what she said, I've never been loved the way I have been loved at Jennifer House. For the first time, I really love myself. I will be one year clean this weekend. She said, I've been clean before, but this time I feel clean on the inside. I think we know what that means. We feel clean on the inside. That's what happens when you face your demons and you're surrounded by love and you accept the love. You feel clean on the inside. So in the 12-step program, there are two critical moments of recovery. One, when we stop blaming everybody, and two, when we accept love into our lives. Two critical moments of we stop blaming people and we accept love. And usually we can't do this by ourselves. We can't accept the love by ourselves. We need a sponsor or or a guru or a mentor or a coach or a community like this. That's why I come here. That's why you come here. Because we can't do this stuff by ourselves. G.K. Chesterton told a story about a man who was very careless with his spiritual life. And he died and he went to hell. And he was greatly missed by his friends and his family on earth. So his business partner went to the gates of hell and he said to Satan, look, this guy did a lot of good for his customers. He really was a good man. I know he made mistakes, but he was a good man. Let him out. But the gates remained closed. Then his priest went to the gates of hell and said to Satan, this guy wasn't that bad. I mean, yeah, he had his problems, but he would have matured given the time. The gates remained closed. Finally, his mother went to the gates of hell. She didn't negotiate with Satan. She just says, let me in. The doors opened. Only love can break through hell. Only love can break through oppression. Only love can expel the demons in our lives.